Welcome to episode 11 of the Ticket to Ride podcast. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy podcast. I want to acknowledge the fact that both Courtney and I dance like the theme music is playing, but it does not play. <laughs> We're timing it out. <laughs> that, that little pause there before we're going. It's just to make Blair's editing life a little bit easier. <laughs> um, so this week we're going to talk about streaming services and the resurgence of classic films on streaming services. Yes. Um, but I think even before we can talk about that, this is historian Blair coming out to really contextualize what we're talking about this week. We need to take it back, go back in time. Um, and talk about the film industry as a whole. So when you think about the golden age of, of Hollywood, which we've talked about initially, mm -hmm. uh, kind of when we started the podcast, um, going to the movies was an event. It was, you were, it was a very like upper crust thing to do. It was supposed to, you know, you dressed up, you went, it was date night. Like it was a big thing to go to the film or yes. go to the movies to see films in a movie theater. Uh, but then you get the 1950s and TV um, impacts the, the film industry a lot. And there's a whole bunch of articles. If you kind of Google the impact of, of TV on, on film, it's really interesting because you can pull up all of these uh, newspaper articles, New York Times, that sort of thing from the 1950s about how awful TV is compared to uh, film and how it's ruining the experience of film. Well, really, too, how it impacted everything. Because back in the day, kids, you could not record a show yeah. you wanted to watch. If you wanted to watch it, you had to be home in front of the TV at that time. And, and that's actually that actually leads me into my next point was TV begot, became so popular um, that we start to see must-see TV. It became an event. And uh, you had to be home at a certain time to watch the shows. And uh, it, I found it really interesting. I found this article about the societal impact of must-see TV. Uh, and it wasn't because of the TV itself. It wasn't because of the shows or the actual media, it was the socialization afterwards. So what pe they, they took a group of 14 people for two weeks and told them they couldn't watch any TV. And all 14 of them failed at the test. And they said it wasn't because we missed TV, the act of watching TV itself is we missed talking about it in the office or in school the next day. So yeah. they found that they couldn't be in a normal social situation because they couldn't keep up the conversation. Yes. And I also want to point out too, because I was thinking about this when looking at this topic, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe somebody a little bit younger than us might also count, but I think Blair and mine's generation, which I think they call us elder, older millennials now, it yeah. used to be something else. I don't know, Gen Y, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> whatever we are, we are the last generation that it both experienced growing up with that must-see TV era and then moving into the streaming era when we were still relatively young, like college age-ish. Yeah. And 
so I think about that. And like, I remember bolting home from school because I had to catch Sailor Moon at 430 because that's when it came on on weekdays. And I knew if I didn't catch it, I'd miss out on the conversation with my friends who also loved Sailor Moon. Yeah. And now it's like you can whip out your phone on the way home and catch the, whatever the latest episode is of whatever. And that's the thing, right? Is we went from having to be tied to our houses for entertainment for a good chunk of like the eighties and nineties. Like you would still go to the movies, but there was definitely a decline of going to the movies. It was, yeah. I can get entertained at home. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's funny that you say that about, I think you're right that we are probably the last generation that saw the transition so vividly. Um, we didn't strictly grow up with one or the other. Um, but I'm even thinking back to when I was in university, um, streaming was just starting to be a thing. I think it was like a very early technology, but it was still me and my two closest friends on Tuesday nights would go and we, like, we would have our kind of like our television night. We would watch our show and then have dinner. Like it was our, it was our collective, you know, this is our time to be, to, to make time for our friendship. This is what we're going to do. Right. Um, but you start seeing now there's still that you have to like talk about the most popular thing. I'm going to throw out Tiger King just because I feel like that was relatively recently, but I remember um, when it came out so late or when it became really popular early last year, beginning of the pandemic, um, everybody's talking about the same thing on a streaming service. So that kind of pushes you to watch it, but you're suddenly in this environment where you have to say, Oh, I've only watched the first couple of episodes. So don't tell me what happens because yes spoilers are a thing and they've become so much more important I guess these days than they ever were before because it wasn't just I haven't seen the movie yet I'm going next weekend it's you know you've watched an entire season or series in some cases of a show yeah um so you're way ahead of somebody else it's much more of a faux pas and well a more recent example is Shadow and Bone which just came out uh, in April on Netflix based on the Shadow and Bone book series. And I only typically, if I'm going to watch something where I know I'm going to watch several episodes in a row, I wait for the weekend since I work full time in addition to all the other stuff. And so I had watched the first couple episodes, but then right away the next day on say Instagram, I'm seeing posts about a goat and I'm like, well, I haven't seen a goat yet. <laughs> So what is this goat? And then eventually I was like, okay, I understand now. And it didn't bother me personally, because I'm not terribly disappointed by spoilers. Um, like I was when I was maybe say in high school. Now I'm kind of like, eh, I'll get to it. Um, because I have so much else that I do. So, right. but that is definitely the more re- most recent one I can think of where I actively was like, oh man, I need to catch up. Yeah. And it's so funny because now I'm thinking about a lot of the shows that I watch regularly on streaming services are, um, also they're Disney plus shows. So it's like the star Wars stuff. So right now I'm watching the bad batch because it's coming out, but it's funny that when streaming services came out, they're like, you can have access to this entire season and watch it like binge watching that 
starts because of streaming services was binge watching didn't happen before then. I think it kind of did if you had a box set on DVD or VHS. Of the oh, the show. box sets. Oh. I still have. I have every season of Buffy on DVD, every season of Angel on DVD. I think I have every season of Bones, every season of uh excuse me miss uh courtney nobody else has dvds anymore but you uh, <laughs> two episodes in a row so moving on <laughs> <laughs> i'm not gonna let this go i don't own a dvd player i <laughs> does that say anything <laughs> you play them on your laptop my laptop doesn't have a dvd player and why do you still have them it's a very good question because they have emotional value to me. I'm going to send you a DVD player. Oh, God. I have to start watching DVDs again. Yes. Get interrupted by the, the play screen at the beginning. <laughs> Not fun. Where was I going? Oh, binge watching. But now streaming services are going back to releasing episodes on a week-to-week basis versus yes. um, releasing everything all at once, which is it's very interesting to me. Yeah, I have noticed a difference, especially on Disney+. Plus. They are doing that week to week versus I think Netflix still does all in one go and Hulu. It depends on the show with Hulu. If it's like a Hulu tie in with another channel, it's week to week. But if it's just a Hulu show, it's all out at once, all at once. But Netflix has started doing week to week on some of their shows. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I guess they did that with like the great British baking show. And yeah, I think some of that is they're doing like simultaneous. So it'll air live if you still have cable or whatever. And then you can get it um, the same time on the streaming service, which is also a really interesting phenomenon because I think we're honestly, I think we're kind of at the tail end of people still having live television, like cable, because I Everybody that I know that still watches, I would say like network TV, so ABC, NBC, CBS, those shows, they're still watching them either on the streaming platform that those those production studios have or on Hulu or something like that. So yeah, they're not actually sitting down to watch it at a dedicated time. Have I told you I had to explain to a friend's children recently um, about cable, about how they couldn't fast forward through the commercials and... How far we've come. And and they're like, uh, what, seven and five, I think, eight and five. And uh, they were in a little rental for a vacation and I popped up to visit them. This was, you know, we were all in the same quarantine bubble and I get up there and they couldn't figure out the TV. And I realized it was cable, like real cable. And I had to explain to them, guys, you just have to watch the commercials, like take this time to go to the bathroom or get a snack or, you know, do something else. You don't have you because you can't skip it. Yeah. <laughs> and then I told them that TV used to end at midnight. <laughs> what, what was the reaction to that? And for people that don't know what we're talking about is TV actually like it just went to buzz at midnight. Yeah, it would play the na- in the US. It would play the national anthem and then. <laughs> It would go to fuzz. <laughs> let's not d- dive into that. But yeah, so I said that and all I got was silence. I mean, just silence and staring at me like I was like, I didn't know what I was talking about. And I was like, I think it's this is something that actually really interests me is the evolution of technology and how it impacts societal norms and just society in general, um, because the I, I should stop myself because I 
feel myself going off into a very deep tangent of something that I actually wanted to do a PhD in. So I'm going to back up and just say it's very interesting. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> the impact well, that. We'll let you devote an episode later. Yeah. To- Maybe an episode that Courtney can't record with me. I'll just go, you'll get my dulcet tones talking about <laughs> the evolution <laughs> of technology. We can start in the Stone Age. <laughs> dulcet tones. I love that. That's me and my dulcet tones. I feel like I have a very alto deep. Every time I edit, this is a, a random tangent again, um, completely off topic. But when I'm editing these episodes, I'm constantly shocked at like, the sound of my voice. I do not think I sound like that. I don't think anybody thinks they sound like they do. But like you and I were talking about, and I've noticed since we started doing these, in the beginning, I was code switching. You were, yeah, a lot. And because I've worked many years in a customer facing field, I was code switching into my higher customer service voice is what I call it, or my people pleaser voice, um, whatever that is. And now I'm stopping myself from doing that. And I do think I'm sticking more in my lower register, which is where my voice actually is. Yeah. Versus where I kept going in the first few episodes of the show. So you're getting the real us. You're not getting fake, Courtney and Blair. You're getting real, the good, the bad, the ugly. The deep voices. Or deep yeah. for us, anyway. They, well, they sound deep to us. but <laughs> To you, they might sound completely different. So, uh, yeah, contextualizing. <laughs> back on topic. Contextualizing our conversation today, the impact that streaming services had, not just on the industry, on television and film, Uh, But diving deep specifically in how streaming services have made classic films kind of have a resurgence. Um, So, again, we saw this a little bit when cable TV came in and when there was actual cable TV, not just network TV um, with like TCM. So Turner Classic Movies, American Classic Movies, um, channels devoted to playing classic films and then talking about them. I don't know who came up with Turner Classic Movies, but they uh, defined a huge chunk of my childhood because once I found that channel, my parents couldn't get me off of it. Yeah. I remember the first movie I ever saw on Turner Classic Movies. What was it? I don't know if you remember yours, but it was uh, 1957's The Fuzzy Pink Nightgown with Jane Russell. Uh, And I was mesmerized mostly by Jane Russell, but who isn't? Of course, now I've seen it as an adult and realized that movie is, is has issues. But <laughs> at the time, it was mesmerizing. I think mine was a John Wayne film, and I'm trying to remember which oh, one it was. They um, all had some kind of John Wayne film festival going on. So my mom is the one, obviously, the, the one that introduced me into classic films and my appreciation of classic films. But... I guarantee you right now, it is Saturday. It is Saturday at 1.46 Eastern time that we're recording this. She's she's watching Turner Classic Movies. Guarantee you. I could call her right now and be like, what channel's on the television? She said, Turner Classic Movies. I almost want you to do it. <laughs> She'd be like, why are you interrupting my movie? You know it's Saturday <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I'm pretty sure it was a John Wayne movie because she really likes John Wayne. It's probably one, not one where he was a cowboy, but more one where he was a war hero. It might have been Dirty Dozen. Oh. I that, think it was Dirty Dozen. 
That could be very possible. So yes, Turner Classic Movies, American Classic Movies, we have to thank them for their impact on our childhood. But now, kids today, kids these days, <laughs> kids today, <laughs> uh, years back. you're so lucky because we talked about this in what, episode seven or eight? No, episode four. I'm getting all confused. Episode four, where we talked about some of the resources that we leverage. Yes. Um, there are a ton of platforms to watch classic films now. So there's YouTube, there's Netflix, there's Hulu, there's Amazon Prime, there's Tubi. Um, Disney Plus obviously has all of the Disney and Fox films, classic yes. films. Even the old ones from the 60s that I didn't realize were that old until I <laughs> looked them up. And two, also, well, even predating streaming services, I really, even with VHSs being available, I don't remember ever seeing the opportunity to own classic films until DVDs came along because they were able to remaster and restore so much of that footage onto the DVDs. So, you know, what's interesting is I'm thinking back, we've talked about Blockbuster and video stores, like video rental stores before. But even like the availability of classic films in those stores was very minimal. So to even just rent films, like they didn't have the greatest selection of classic films. I talk about how I saw Funny Lady. um, And that was one of my, you know, first introductions, but and it was rented by block from Blockbuster. But it's not like they had a classic film section that was four or five rows long. It was like a single shelf of classic films. And it was always the same ones. It was always, I think, like Wizard of Oz, Gone with the Wind, uh, all the the epics they would have. That was about it. Yeah. You couldn't find, like, you wouldn't be able to find Dr. Goldfoot in Blockbuster. Oh, but imagine if you could. (laughs) Imagine what kind of parents would see their teenager rent that and then come into Blockbuster all huffy because their, their son was seeing a movie with ladies in bikinis or just a movie called dr goldfoot and the bikini machine also very true you gotta watch this film guys it's the title is misleading i guess but it's not though yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) there's a machine that makes women in bikinis they're robots played by actual women they don't look like robots yeah let's because of course we have to have them look like actual women god forbid they actually look like animatronic robots or anything but you know okay we've got off topic again this is gonna be just this has been tangents (laughs) welcome to episode 11 of ticket to pride podcast random (laughs) tangents of courtney blair trying to figure out zoom (laughs) oh i think we're doing pretty good though yeah we've only had a couple of hiccups yeah so okay so so getting back on topic we have the introduction of being able to own classic films on dvd the i remember the first i got was a box set of all of meryl monroe's uh, biggest films for christmas mm-hmm. one year i don't even remember if i asked for it or i don't know how that happened i just know i got them and i still have them and i still watch them because courtney still has a dvd player and so it's dvd she's very integrated i stick by that i don't care if i have box sets of buffy that's a different story you know, that's doesn't count. Oh, you're so lucky you're not here right now. 
<laughs> the real reason Blair moved to New York was so that Courtney could not <laughs> come after her. It's like running from the mob. <laughs> oh, don't. Well, let's not go down that tangent again. Okay. So yeah, DVDs, being able to own those, but still, you know, a limited selection because it would depend on what they had remastered and what they thought they could sell. But now you can go on to all of these streaming services we talked about in episode four. And again, you know, just now, and even the most obscure things can be found on the streaming services, um, you know, probably for rent or for purchase, but even for, if, if they're for purchase, it's not that expensive. Like there's, I mean, just things that you wouldn't even think about. There's one I just randomly saw cause it popped up on my, you may want to watch this list on Amazon. And it was a less than an hour long, like independent film from the thirties about a, and it wasn't really Yale, but you know, it was like, pretending to be Yale fraternity guy who disguises himself as a woman so he can enter a beauty pageant at a women's college that's pretending to be Wellesley. Uh, And I'm just like, how do they even still have this? (laughs) There's a lot of films out there that you're like, A, how did this get made to begin with? And B, why did they remake this and make it more (laughs) available? Um, But that made me think about um, the idea of, even when we're talking about DVDs being available for classic films, there was still like, there wasn't necessarily a place to buy those DVDs. Right. So there were stores devoted to buying DVDs, like FYE, like there were stores for CDs and DVDs and, and and Best Buy, that sort of thing. But again, flashback, I haven't thought about FYE in years. Um, but you, you hit the nail on the head when you said what they could get paid for essentially what was going to generate more revenue for the production houses and the production studios. And, um, it was a very limited number of films. So even to get something, I would say arguably something like my man Godfrey, right. Yeah. It's, it's a really good film and it's a film that we talk about quite a bit because we love it so much. But if we, zip back to like 1999 we wouldn't be able to find that on dvd at fye or best buy um and amazon was still just selling books so like might have been able to find something on (laughs) ebay but there was not like there were there were not platforms available to allow for easy access to classic films and i think that's the the point that we're trying to make is we've seen we like Courtney and I have seen such a a big resurgence of the interest in classic film and classic holiday Hollywood. A lot of, um, a lot of our, um, our interests and like some of the Instagram accounts that we follow and, um, some of the Twitter accounts, you see this, um, this resurgence of like vintage culture and, you know, really highlighting um, what you saw in classic films. Um, And I think that's another key component of it too, is suddenly with social media, you're able to better find like-minded individuals. So we can, you know, converse with people that are really interested in silent film and share content on silent film, uh, write books about silent film. 
and we would have never had that capability prior to you know instagram becoming what it is um and being able to know that there's other like-minded individuals out in the world yeah i mean an excellent example is um the account this was hollywood um, yeah whose book i just ordered her book um uh, for an upcoming episode we're also discussing, but, and if you haven't checked her out yet, it's her, her handle is at this was Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And she, I know she does live out in that area. So she probably has gotten access to more, um, archival information maybe, but she is constantly posting facts and photos and clips and trivia about Hollywood history and film in general that um, I mean, I learned something new every time I go there and it wouldn't have been possible without a platform like Instagram. to be and, Yeah. And she has, so she partnered, I think it was with TCM, like Turner Classic Movies that she did the book, right? Yes. So I she, she, because of her Instagram account, she was able to, to get a publishing deal and work with Turner Classic Movies directly to, to publish her book, um, which again, we think about 15, 20, I guess it would be like 20, 25 years ago, God, 20 to 25 years ago, that wouldn't have been possible. No, not at all. So speaking of social media, you know, we have our own Instagram and Twitter profiles at Ticket to Ride Pod. You know, I would love to actually get a conversation going on social media. And I would love to hear from people about the movies they've discovered on streaming services that they might not have seen before because they are classic films that they may not have been able to get a copy of uh, before now. I would love to know, like, what is what is a, a classic film you've discovered thanks to a streaming service that you probably never would have gotten to see before? I, I want to make a post when I when we post this episode. I'm going to ask that question specifically on our Instagram page at ticket to ride pod. And I want, I want some answers. Yeah. So tag us again, that's at ticket to ride pod, both Twitter and Instagram. We do not have a Facebook. So um, do not be fooled. It is not us on Facebook. Um, (laughs) And join us next week where we will discuss what disclaimers on, on some films on classic films, new disclaimers that appear on streaming services and classic films. Yes. And we'll dive a little bit more into that. Awesome. 